You're listening to Voices of Family, the monthly podcast series from the BC Council for Families. Each month, we bring you thought-provoking discussions with notable figures and frontline workers in the family service community. Voices of Family takes you inside family services to hear what's new and on the horizon, making life better for BC families. Good morning, I'm Pilar Anatra. I'm a program coordinator at the BC Council for Families, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Susan Gamash. Susan is a registered psychologist as well as a marriage and family therapist and a mediator here in Vancouver. She has a master's degree and a doctoral degree in counseling psychology from SFU and UBC, and for over 20 years she has been working with couples, families, and children, focusing on the issues of separation, divorce, and remarriage. In addition, she has conducted award-winning research on divorce and remarriage, provided workshops for professionals and for the public, and appeared on television and radio programs as a consultant in these areas. Susan, I'm so pleased that you were able to join us today to talk about step families and divorce. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Before we started, um, can we clarify some language? More and more these days, we're hearing the term blended families used, as well as step families. Are the two terms synonymous? And if they are different, is one term preferable to the other? Um, that's a good question. The term blended families and step families are in some ways synonymous and in some ways they're not. Um, in the language around step families, it seems that nothing is ever perfect. So we kind of make do as best we can. Um, the term blended families is um, is all right. The disadvantage with that is that for older children, sometimes the family doesn't ever feel blended. They don't experience it in the same way as children who were two or three. So the term blended families works well for younger children who actually start to feel like it is blended together, um, but it's not as useful for older children who may need to be able to stay a little bit separate. The term step families is again, you know, it's okay, um, and there's a lot of connotations. Um, at the same time, it's a very portable word. We can have step brothers, step sisters, step fathers, step grandparents, so it sort of as far as grammar goes, it's handy, but um, again, it, there are a lot of people for whom the word step feels very negative. Um, I've heard people say, say around a word like stepfather, um, if they've become stepchildren very early in life, the step is kind of offensive because this man will feel like their dad, you know, and, and so this is my dad. He, the, the idea that somebody would call him a stepdad is kind of insulting. Um, on the other hand, if you're talking to a 17-year-old who's just met mom's boyfriend and somebody says, is that your stepdad? Then the step might feel okay, but the dad feels all wrong because he doesn't feel like a dad to them and he may never feel like a dad to them. So there's always a place where the language is helpful and another place where it isn't. So um, I guess we just have to be careful and check our assumptions and not impose language on other people that doesn't fit for them. 
one of the reasons why I asked this it was uh, I was wondering if using the term blended families uh, was part of the move to stop using the, the stepmother as a wicked stepmother or as a way to be more friendly towards the step family. Um, how damaging are those myths to new step families? Well, the, the stepmother role is considered to be the most difficult. Um, part of that is because women generally tend to be more involved with children. And so in new stepmother households, then the woman is often given too much responsibility for children or too much responsibility for the household. And so the children um, can resent resent that and she can be the person that actually um, uh, receives that resentment even though it might not actually be her doing that that she's the one say who's at home when dad's away working or she's the one who's trying to keep the household organized um, and and perhaps making rules or having expectations for children when their father's not there so the stepfather role uh, tends to be a little bit less difficult than the stepmother role because the dads are often, the stepdads are a bit less involved with the children than the stepmothers would be of their stepchildren. Um, the way to work against the step, the wicked stepmother um, experience is for biological parents to stay really active with their children and not defer parenting to the stepmother prematurely and we can talk more about that later but it is that act of giving stepmothers too much responsibility that actually creates the wicked stepmother experience and so the best way to work against it is for the biological parents to really stay firmly in charge of their children until such time has passed that it's appropriate for the stepmother to take more responsibility. I would like to explore with you uh, some of the common challenges that step-families and new step-parents face uh, nowadays and hear some of your advice or how, on a, for how families can avoid these uh, difficulties or work, work them out. One of the um, common challenges that step-families face is the pace of change. Often it goes too fast. And so um, people will end up expecting the children to accommodate to changes much faster than the children actually can accommodate to those changes. So, for example, I've worked with families where um, they are prepared to buy a new house altogether to have everybody living altogether, but they have not yet had everybody around the table to have a conversation about moving in together. It's easier to buy the house than it is to sit down and have the conversation. So that kind of a situation for me is going too fast and that until the relationships have had a chance to consolidate and solidify a little bit, it's too soon to move into a new house. You should be able to sit down at the table and have everybody present before you consider having everybody living together in the same house. Um, sometimes people choose to make their households very close together, like condos in the same complex or living in the same neighborhood, so that the children continue to have their own home but have lots of involvement with the other family. And sometimes that's a good way to let the relationships develop in their own time and that when it is time to, for everyone to live together, that. Um, there's less of a culture shock for 
two families that are, you know, have different patterns or different rhythms trying to um, find a way to be together all under the same roof. Um, uh, another thing that is often a challenge is that um, adults in step families can sometimes forget that step relationships are different than biological relationships. Um, more and more these days, I think people are reading in advance and starting to inform themselves. Um, but historically, people have some kind, sometimes said, well, you know, I know that, you know, in, in my first family, you know, when mom and dad love each other, everything's fine and, you know, the kids will be well cared for. And in step families, that's not always true because the... Um, it's like we need a different blueprint for building a step family as opposed to building a first marriage family or mom, dad, and the kids in the same household family. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different kinds of relationships. So if the two adults are doing well, that does not necessarily mean that the children are doing well. Whereas when you look at a mom and dad and kids in the same household family, first marriage family, generally if mom and dad are doing well, the kids are doing well. Um, in a step family, Step fam- the step relationships take a long time to develop, particularly with older children. The younger the children are, the faster they develop, but the older they are, the, l- the slower they are to develop. So we have kind of a general guideline that children need a period of time that's equal to their age when that new partner moves into their home or they share a residence before they can really take that person on as a parent. So if they're two when that person moves in, then um, within two years they will have that person pretty close to a a parental category. But if they're 17 when that person moves in, two years is not going to make that person a parent for a 17-year-old. So it gets a bit more complicated to be parenting in a step-family household because you have to be mindful of the different kinds of relationships and to nurture them in a way that actually supports them. Um, There's one other thing that I'd like to say, and I kind of um, have said it a little bit already, but that taking time to develop good communication strategies is particularly important in step families. It's like in first marriage families or our traditional nuclear family, you can get away with poor communication because everybody's in the same house at the end of the night and mom and dad are married to each other and it's not so complicated. But when you're in a step family, it's very important to have good communication. So if people are struggling with their communication, it would be a good idea to get some help with that first before putting everything together so that they don't have to be building everything from scratch once they move in. One of the difficulties that a parent who is establishing a new relationship can encounter is opposition from the from their ex-partner. Uh, bringing a new person into a parenting relationship can create uh, some challenges. Would you agree with that, and what would you suggest uh, to the new couple? <clears throat> well, it's interesting because in some cases when um, a former husband or former wife has a new partner, um, it can be seen in a very positive light, um, especially if that person is perceived as being good with the children and uh, respectful of 
the co-parenting and that the co-parents still need to do their job of co-parenting. It does demand a, a certain level of self-esteem and maturity, I think, to tolerate the um, the relationship between, you know, your spouse and their former spouse, you know, in, in terms of co-parenting. So, you know, it is it is somewhat challenging, and, um, and I'm sure there's times even for the the most um, competent um, step-parents to feel a bit of jealousy or a bit of insecurity. So it's, it's not that we can ever get away completely, you know, scot-free of anything. Um, other times, the introduction of a new partner can just really upset the apple cart. And I've heard many people say, you know, everything was fine until he came on the scene or she came on the scene and it seems like it it sets up a tone of um i i think what happens is it just kind of runs into all the unresolved things and so if there are a lot of unresolved emotional pieces between the original couple that that can really get triggered when one of those people starts a new relationship um, again, it's, I think it's useful for people to inform themselves, to read, um, and to take good advantage of the excellent you know, family therapists that we have in order to work that stuff out early and not let it fester and really get entrenched before looking for some help or starting to read about these kinds of um, transitions. Thank you for joining us for part one in this Voices of Families podcast series with Dr. Susan Gamash. To listen to part two, please visit our website at www.bccf.ca. That wraps it up for this episode of Voices of Family. Check the BC Council for Families website next month for another episode on the latest in family services at www.bccf.ca. Thanks, and see you next time.